Better listen very carefully. A good martial artist does not become tense, but ready. Essentially, at this point, the fight is over. So you pretty much flow with the goal. Who is worthy to be trusted with the secret to limitless power? I'm ready. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Bulletproof for BJJ podcast. I'm JT, and I'm here with my partner in crime, Joey. What's up, fam? Now, this is a bit of a burning question, because people have asked it many times, and it is definitely in the consciousness of people in jiu-jitsu. Can you become a champion, but not train at a championship team? Can you be a homegrown hero? Can you come from your maybe medium-sized club, work your ass off, and still become a champion? Or do you have to go train at Atos or New Wave or AOJ or the, like one of the big teams to be the best? Look, I've been saying it since day one that like I've got potential to be the best, but it's all the other cunts that are in the training room with me that are holding me back. Holding you back. Yeah. <laughs> all those cunts. Yeah. No, no personal accountability. All the fingers are pointing outside. Yeah. Shit coach, shit training partners, yeah. shit gym. Hold me back, bruh. No, it's interesting because so recently – I was reading an article about this thing called the Matthew effect, which is the compounding effect of greatness, which is if you get uh, a group of people who are all focused on getting better at the same thing, how this has all kinds of knock-on effects to the people around you. Mm. So there's this, you know, the kind of, it's a cliche, you know, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Why does it work this way? Now, there are exceptions to this because there are people who've become champions who've come from smaller teams or less well-known teams and come to dominate Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So we are going to talk about that. I was just saying this before um, to Joe. Well, I was trying. Quite in depth. Before I was rudely interrupted. JT somehow thought the podcast was recording when we're having breakfast. <laughs> no, I was Just went into the complete monologue. Man. Joe just killed my vibe. All right, I'm well slept. I'm ready to go. <laughs> here's, here's how it plays out, fam. I'll be like, so what are we talking about today? JT will be like, we're talking about this. I'll be like, great topic. I'm down. And then you will go, and I think it's important to talk about because. And then 30 minutes later, I'm like, bro, you just told me the whole episode. <laughs> Look, the podcast is for you guys, not for Joe's benefit. So if I try and prepare him, he has to put up with that. But basically, guys, here's the thing. Expectation sets the tone. They actually showed this in school kids where if the teacher expected less of a student, they perform to expectation. Same thing if, if a teacher expected more, kids tended to perform better. Not all but the majority. And so I've had someone say this to me, do I need to move clubs to get better? And I, uh, th- my answer was, are you the best at your gym? And they said, yes. I beat everyone and sometimes I tap my coach. I'm like, okay, this guy is like a purple belt. And I said, you might have to. He lives in a small town. And I said, you might, if you really want to get good at jiu I'm the best in the village. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, king of the village. Um, I mean, you might want to consider going to a major city. And I've, I've, I've given that advice to a lot of young people. And then ultimately, maybe you've got to have a look at doing some stints overseas. Because here's a very difficult thing. Jiu-Jitsu has become a professional sport, but doesn't pay like a professional sport. So even though you've got guys like Tyne and Dalpra, who've been training since they're like six years old, training in the furnace of AOJ, they're now 21, they're a Jiu-Jitsu cyborg, you can't expect that you're just going to show up as a, a 25-year-old, 30-year-old black belt. Yeah, I'm the best in Australia, and you're going to beat that guy. 
it, it's almost impossible for that to happen at the black belt level. But if you're a white belt and a blue belt and you have these aspirations of being the best, I, I think that you it will benefit you to go and work with people who are better than you. Right on. What Let me – um, well, yeah, maybe before we jump into like what you need to do, um, tell me more about this Matthew effect because you, you, you gave us a lot of examples there, but let's drill into one. So the idea there, just to, so I can get it clear, is that um, – in order to be the best at a thing, you need to be training with people who are also kind of elite at it. You need that in order to reach your maximal potential. They don't have to be elite, but they need to be on the same page. Right. So, so you go, you're going to be all of you good and going for it. Yeah, yeah, all of you, even though you may not be proven. It was actually the discussion of the Matthew effect was around um, investment banking and how certain uh, investment banks are worth way more than others. Yeah. Like why are some worth... Trillions of dollars and some not. Because some merely billions. Only billions. Pitifully little billions. They're talking about Sequoia. They're talking about um, Berkshire Hathaway. Like all these different things. Because you've got some of the greatest... That's I bank with. Well, trust, trust the cheeseburger eating old guys. <laughs> um, no, I think the thing is that the, the discussion was that you, it's hard to explain how much people learn from each other. And that if you have someone who's working really hard on a subject and you're working on the same problem and they have a different perspective, you learn from them. Being around them, you observe their behaviours and all this stuff. So even though they may not teach it to you directly, you learn from observing their process, they learn from observing your process and you're each getting better. And so the concentration has a compounding effect and it was called the compounding effect of greatness. They talk a lot about it in, in footy in America, like NFL and wrestling and stuff like that. I don't... entirely agree because i feel that you if you're a really hardworking person and you're really smart you can still be an outlier and find a way to win so i believe there are exceptions to this rule but if we observe it and we look around the world certain gyms do produce a lot of champions would i be right in saying that yeah 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 absolutely i um i read a book some time ago called the talent code okay which is a good read. I recommend it for you know for anyone that's, that's interested in books. It's basically the the author was looking at high performers, like elite level performers in many different fields, and you know he, he talked about sprinters. He talked about Usain Bolt, but he talked about I think like a violinist okay. who was from Venezuela. Um, basically, like picked these very different kind of people who were elite at what they did, uh, and talked about um, female tennis players. And I think he might have been. At the time, look at maybe Martina Hingis or Anna Kornikova. Yep. And then looked at like their backstory. Right. And what he, and obviously that it all fits with his kind of hypothesis, but all of these high performers came from an academy or a club. Yep. Where it, where everyone was extremely good at the thing. Mm. And, uh, and he was saying how you get this, this compounding effect within these clubs. And then because of that, once you get someone who breaks, through to the elite level, everyone else in the club realizes, oh shit, I can hang with so-and-so in training. It's possible. So I can do that. Mm. And so then you see this effect over the years following where there's multiple champions coming out of that one team. Yeah. Right? You can see, you see it all the time, right? In MMA and sports and whatnot. For sure. And uh, it was very interesting because he was, you know, he was, he was, I guess he was saying that there's, there's different, there's multiple parts to it. There is, yes, the technical, like whatever's being taught there is obviously really good. But probably what stuck with me more was that the, 
the eyes of the other people who are not the champion are opened to, I can do this too. It's a doable thing. Yeah, and so he's like, you get these hot spots. He called them talent hot spots. And they, that hot spot will dominate for a certain period of time. And then it'll... And then, yeah, another one will... And the, pop up. That's right. You yeah. know, maybe that champion will stop winning and then the whole team will kind of simmer down a little bit mm. and you get another one popping up. But it was, yeah, it was really interesting about that, that whole piece. There's a great book called Bounce by a guy called Martin Syed. And he's an English guy and he was a table tennis champion. And he was trying to explain, like, it's really good. I read that book and it made me think talent doesn't exist. He, he was trying to rationalize why certain people are great. And runners, tennis players, everyone. Because most people are super elite. They can't even explain why they are so good. But they've got the millions of reps and the childhood and, and so much. He was talking about, there's a level, it's called autonomous amnesia. It's like, for example, he's talking about Roger Federer. Why does he step to the left or step to the right when a guy serves? He can't even tell you. But he's so trained that he can read, oh, it's going to go right, it's going to go left. He's so elite. He was trying to break down why he was so good at table tennis, ping pong. And he started in this tiny hall they had five world champions come out of this tiny little gym because they had no space off the table. It was this little church hall. They couldn't stand off the table. So they had to – their reaction time had to be so quick. And he started when he was like 11. And by the time he was 21, he was European champion. He ended up playing China and, you know, he, he lost. He got like – I can't even believe table tennis is in the Olympics, but he ends up getting an Olympic silver medal. I can medal. fucking believe that. <laughs> when you see him, it's amazing. It's when you Horse see stance. Off the table. <laughs> it's incredible um but yeah and he was breaking down like runners and different things and he the thing that blew my mind he was like look if we look at africa people was like oh best best runners in the world from africa he's like no they're not they're from one town and uh he's like let's explain why they're from one town he's like because if you go to that town they have 20 world champions in in marathon but then there's also thousands of people who are not champions in marathon why is that? This town is at altitude. So they're living at altitude. They're living 3,000 meters above sea level. It's also desert. It's hot and it's dry. It's sand. The champions, he asks them all these questions, interviewing them like, why are you guys champions? They're like, I don't know. I just, you know, I eat goat meat and drink, you know, whatever. I, you know, they have this diet. And he's like, where did you live relevant to your school? Oh, I lived um, 10 miles away from my school. Well, how did you get to school? Oh, I just ran to school. Well, where did you live? Oh, I live 20 miles from my school. Well, how did you? I, I ran to school. So these kids, since five years old, are running barefoot in sand at altitude to school. They're running a marathon every day since they're five years old. And he's like, this one town can produce, like they can actually put forward 112-year-olds that could qualify for Olympic marathon times. Wow. Whereas England could only put up two grown men. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he's saying there's a real reason why it's baked into the DNA of that town as to why they produce all these amazing runners. Now, I'm going to flip back to jiu-jitsu and talk about exceptions because I don't, I don't think it's true. I, I think, yes, there's this conventional method of going and training with a big team. There's downsides to that. And then there's exceptions. So I'm going to talk about GF Team. So GF Team has produced many champions, but they are most well-known for Rodolfo Vieira, who dominated the sport. There was a good probably six years where he was killing everybody and then Bushesha broke through and was kind of the kryptonite. People didn't really know a lot of champions from 
GF team, even though they had tough guys there. Um, they have produced champions. Ricardo Evangelista, he's a big motherfucker. Um, Italo Linz, Gutenberg, Gutenberg Pereira, he's a, he's a big unit too. But Rodolfo dominated and is still legendary to this day, even though he's retired. And it really gave fame to the GF team. Is he still fighting UFC? I'm not or sure. He, right. he, I think he's on the roster. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know. And this is, I always find it tragic that you get these guys who are so great at jujitsu and then they go, like, oh, I'm going to make money. I'm going to go to the UFC. And they never quite, you know, they've expressed their athletic potential in jujitsu. And then that, you know, you see him get submitted by a blue belt because they got punched in the head a lot. And you're like, oh, sad. You know, probably still got paid a bit better though. Oh no, they definitely got <laughs> <Yeah>. paid. <laughs> they're not. They're not having to pay. You, you want them to be the champion again? Yeah, you'd yeah. love to see their great jujitsu in MMA, but you don't necessarily. Hadolfo had some of the biggest impact on passing. Just he brought back the super aggressive takedowns, passing, just destruction of people. Even though he was incredibly strong, he was also incredibly technical. He just took the game over and he was from a relatively small team. It was off his back that these other guys came out and became champions and GF team became this kind of worldwide uh, franchise because Rodolfo was so uh, dominant. And yeah, when he was a kid, he started a different gym, but he moved for, he moved to that gym. Uh, I think when he was like a, a young kid, he's a blue or purple belt. So that is a classic example of somebody who had the will and the ability and came from a small team and dominated the sport. Mm-hmm. And I think you could even look at a guy like Leandro because Leandro Lowe trained at Cicero Costa, which is a projet social. Like a, it was just him, a lot of tough dudes, and the Meow brothers. And the Meows even went and trained, I think, with the Mendez brothers at one stage, but they were like, no, nah, the training wasn't hard enough. <laughs> we're we're going to just go live on the mats at Cicero Costa. And, and, and if you look at that gym, they have produced many tough guys, but no one quite as great as... Leandro, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think it is possible if you're out there and you're listening to this and, you know, you're like, man, I just want to be the best in the world. I don't think you have to go and train at the, the famous teams, but you need a tough bunch of dudes around you to push you. The classic story in jiu-jitsu was Hicks and Gracie when he moved to America. Right. Correct me if I'm wrong on this. He moved to America to start a gym there kind of in those early days of, of taking jiu-jitsu to, to the world. And he used his white and blue belt students mm. to prepare him to go back, and I think he won worlds. Like, right. Back, flew back to Brazil. Yes. He'd had two years where he hadn't trained with anyone beyond blue belt or something. Right. So the story goes, and fucking wiped everyone. Now, obviously, he's, yeah, he's an is, extreme outlier. That, that is Hickson, and you've got to say, he was also doing full contact fighting as well. Like sure. he's a super tough human, not just on a jiu-jitsu level, but sure, sure. But that's that's what an outlier is, right? Like they yeah. have exceptional qualities. Both approaches can work, but so from what I can tell, it's harder for it to work when you are not surrounded by those people who are on the same trajectory as you. Yes, like for say for Hickson to do that, that's a steeper hill to climb than being like, oh yeah, so I went and trained over at this academy where there's a bunch of world champions and we're all getting after it. Yeah. I was going to say the flip side on this is because I was talking to a young guy. He's 16. He's a blue belt, easily one of the best in Australia, just got his blue. He's kicking ass at blue, and he's trying to work out how can I be a world champion. I said, man, it's going to be tough because what a lot of people don't realize is when you go to a championship gym, they've already got their boy. You know, they've got their horse in the race. 
if you come in and then you start to threaten, they're picking you apart already. You know, like, so I'll give you an example. Tommy Lanneker, um, he went and trained at AOJ because he's got a bolo game, he's got a crazy backtake game, and he was working with Tynan. Now, Tynan has beaten him three times, I think, consistently and, and submitted him since. Guy Mendez, straight away, being the analytical guy, was like, oh, this guy's a threat. He's not going to join AOJ. Let's pick him apart. Yeah, yeah, sure. You roll with Tynan. Tynan, don't go too hard. Analyze, analyze, analyze. Weakness, weakness, weakness. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, train, train, train. Okay, Tynan, this is how we're going to be him. <laughs> and then just, and that's what they do. They, they'll pick you apart. And I've seen this too. Like, um, Craig Jones is really good at this. He will play possum. He will roll against someone who's potentially going to compete against, like Keenan or whoever it might be. And he'll roll not as well. He'll let them just to find out what they do. But then in competition, he'll give them what he's got. And strategically, that's very clever, right? Because he's already worked out. You've already shown your hand and he hasn't shown his. So strategically, he's very smart. It's my, my competitor approach. Oh, it's, it's brutal. But it's, it's, it's how you win. I said to this guy, if you go train at AOJ or you go train at Atos or wherever you go to train, just know that they are as much as unless they think you're going to represent them, and you're clearly that much better than their guy, they're also looking to beat you. Yeah. And that's you've got to be aware. As much as you can absorb a lot from there, until you've built the relationship and you've shown that you could be their champion, they've already got a horse in the race. What's your feelings on that? Like what's your take on it in terms of it being an ethical thing or like you gotta uh, I think we've got to remove the emotion from it and know that this is it's it's a brutal business. And if you want to be the best you got to go in there like I'm here to take the heads off. Now, it doesn't mean you go in there and make enemies, but what that means is you know that they're never really working with you at any stage. They'll let you be in there. You can pay your money. And even if you go multiple times, you know, which I, I had experienced, you know, I, I've been to Alliance many times. I was never going to be their A fighter. They're placing a bet on a guy to be the champion. And if you help that guy get better in the training, that's good. If you win and you win under their flag, oh, happy days. But they're not betting on you. Yep. This is what I'd say. And this is what both Lockie and Craig switched on to. All right, we go there. We get our experience. How do we beat these guys? We beat them with leg locks and better wrestling. So they're there to get information as well. Yeah. To gather data. Yeah, yeah. You're gathering data on us. We're gathering data on you. We yep. come back. This is where they're weak. This is how we work on it. That's how we beat them. This isn't Australia versus Brazil or this isn't like a national thing. This is our team versus your team. Like, okay, Craig, how do you beat Gordon? It's fighter v fighter. Who wants to rise to the top? You've got to be super smart and super strategic. So, yeah, I wouldn't take it personally, but if your intention is to get in there and beat them, you've got to work so much harder and so much smarter. Yeah, I can think of um, back in the day when uh – a uh, young blue belt that I used to train with. Maybe he had a juvenile belt. No, I think he had a blue belt. Young fella named Ariel Tabak. Ooh. This kid that used to train with us, I used to put it on this kid every fucking day of the week. <laughs> he, was a, he was a little guy, he you know? And it, was like, and it was like, oh, you're training with a kid, like go easy, whatever. And then there was just this period where, or there was like a, a, a day where it was like, I left training and I was like, man, Ari kid was like really, he was on it tonight. Like he was fucking hard, you know? That was a tough role. And then that was just the beginning of the end. <laughs> you just just, all of a sudden, you're just getting destroyed by our every training set. And, and with my attitude, it took me months to realize, like, 
I didn't Damn. actually give it any more thought. I just show up and like I'm gonna fucking dominate him again, and then the uh, the reverse would happen. Yeah, and you're like, wow, he's actually getting really good, and I've not gotten any better. And it yeah. was awesome, right? So big props to Ari. But shout out. That was very interesting. Just as a side note, to see someone go from being a kid to to really being a man on the mats. Yeah, you know, in terms of his physicality and confidence and stuff. Yeah. But there was a point there where he he wanted to go 100 meters down the road. There was another kid that everyone was talking about, Blue Belt, called Levi. Levi, yeah, that's yeah. right. And, uh, you know, everyone's talking about this Levi kid. Apparently, he's fucking got a bunch of potential. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, Ari's like, I'm going to go and train with Levi. And, you know, he copped criticism from the gym that we were at, the gym that I was at, and he, he copped criticism for anything, right? Yeah, right. He copped criticism for eating meat, copped criticism for... Yeah, fucking, I don't know, missing training, like, you know, yeah. 14 days straight. Anyways, um, it was masterful. I, I saw that and, and those two, just, I, don't, I don't know what their experience was like training together, but from I've, what I could tell, Ari went there and they both just fucking propped each other and they both just excelled. Yeah. And, you know, Levi's obviously gone huge on the world stage. Ari's also, he's also made his mark well. on the world stage, right? I mean, I've talked to both of them about it because here's the interesting thing about politics. They both trained at Unity. Um, they decided that was where they were going to be because um, they wanted to be around the meows. And, and also uh, Leandro was there, like the brother brotherhood, which is kind of Brazilian arm, they would go and train there. Interesting thing about it at that time was uh, Ari ended up getting his black belt from Cicero, but potentially he was going to get his black belt from um, Murillo. And this was actually a point of contention because there was all these really hardworking people who trained at Cicero Costa in Brazil, but trained at Unity in New York. And then Cicero, who's kind of, I guess, the master, came through and kind of big-dogged Murillo and gave people Does Cicero belts. have anything to do with Murillo? Yeah, like, like, Murillo didn't get his black belt under Cicero, but it was kind of like a, uh, an affiliation of sorts. Right. And uh, Levi got his black belt from Murillo. Yep. And so it kind of made a slight divide in the club. It created tension. Right. Because there were Cicero Costa black belts and they were competing under Cicero Costa, not under Unity. Right, yeah. You know, and then this is where it starts to get political, right? Like, who's winning the championship points yeah. and all this crap. Anyway, man, look, I, Levi, they're both phenomenal athletes and doing exceptionally well. But yeah, let me, let me finish on that point. Please. So, so the, the criticism was, and I remember hearing this from, from one of the higher belts at our gym, was that, well, Ari shouldn't have done that because he's got good training partners here. And if he... If he trains smart and he knows how to train with the training partners he has, he can become a world champion. And I was like, yeah, sure. Like I can see that. Like you could do it. Maybe. But I'm like, but if there's another, you know, person who wants to be world champion, who's one of the best in the country, that's literally 100 meters down the road, surely that's an easier path. Mm. to Just go and train with that person every day and the people that they're around. So it kind of, for me, like I was like, fuck good on him, man. Go there. Like if, mm. if you want that, you should definitely be there training with someone who else is, who is on that trajectory. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the, the haters who were saying like, he should have just trained smarter here. It's like, sure. If that's all you got access to, you can make it work. A la Hicks and Gracie. Yeah. But that's not the easiest. It's got to be the harder path. But Hicks and Gracie is also from the greatest jujitsu family in the history of jujitsu. You know what I mean? So the pedigree I think is different for Hicks. And I agree with you in the sense that you can do it on your on your lonesome in a way like if you've got a really good coach like Fionn Davies for example she trained under Dara um I I forget the name of his team it's the biggest jiu-jitsu team in Ireland and he's an amazing guy and she was just training with all these hardcore guys she wasn't like a famous women's team it's taken her a little while to get to where she is but 
Fionn kind of didn't come from nowhere, but she was making an impact on World's Nogi and now she's an ADCC champion. She's been two-time silver medalist at ADCC, World's Nogi champion, champion in the gi. Her origin is not from a famous gym. She had a great coach dedicated to her who was also European champion, a really great coach, and just tough training partners. So I think knowing that you have a competitive level at your gym means a lot, and then it's on you as an individual. Uh, so, yeah, look, a lot of people out there, I was one of those people. I tried to be the best at my club. I tried to be as good as I could in Australia, and I went, right, I'm going to go to an international team and just learn what that standard is. And you do learn a lot. You observe what's good and what's not good, and then you bring that home. But then you need people who are willing to get on board. You've got to find that drilling partner. You've got to find those people who are going to be prepared to do the hard rounds. And some people just don't want that hurt. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a lot of suffering. So I think it's, it, it does take a bit of camaraderie and a lot of will because it is almost a little bit unfair. Like, it is selfish. Like, you know, we, when we were talking with Declan, he's like, you've got to make decisions. Otherwise, you know, your athletic career is just going to go by and you're not going to get the outcomes you want. It's a little bit unfair, for example, if I say, Joe, I want to be the best. You have to work with me. And you're like, bro, I don't want that shit. Like, I'm, I'm trying to do my jiu-jitsu for me. Like, it takes a lot for you to be like, I'm prepared to do absolute murder war with you to help you. That's actually not what I want. Yeah. Whereas if you're like, I want to be champion, I'm like, I want to be champion. And we go head to head. Then we're both kind of going for a similar outcome. It's much easier to ask that of you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I think back to when I... um. When I used to do a bit of training with Robert Whitaker, yeah, and his coach would be like, "Hey, who wants to come and train with in Whitaker session?" And I'd be like, "Fuck yeah, that sounds sick." Yeah, because I just I just wanted to train hard and bang, yeah. you know, like bang. We're grappling, we're not striking, all right. <laughs> um, but I, you know, the whatever the jiu-jitsu version it's of still that rough is, rough rolls. Oh, horrible! But Alex would always say he'd be he'd be like, "Thanks, guys, we closed session," and he'd be like, "Thanks, hey." can we get a thanks for the guys who gave their bodies to the training today? <laughs> and they and Rob and stuff be like, oh, thanks, man. You know, because yeah. they recognise that we're not trying to be that. No. We're just there because we're, we're, we're down to train you hard, help, you know. But they need you. Exactly. And so, But I think about that now. I wouldn't be fucking – I wouldn't be interested at all to do that. Like, hey, no fucking way, dude. You want to yeah. do some sprawling ball with Rob Whittaker? That's right. <laughs> no. So it's kind of like, yeah, in that way, um, yeah, you know, maybe there's a period where you're like, sure, I'm down to – jump into that fire that you're using to get from point A to point B. For me, I just want to train hard. But yeah, more than likely, it's going to be like you want to find someone who is also trying to be on that path with you. Yeah, it, it is a big challenge. I, I think it can work both ways. But uh, I think this is, this is the caveat. Jiu-Jitsu has changed. We have the Rotolo brothers. We have Tynan Dalpra. We have these... Jiu-Jitsu has basically become like an Olympic sport. Micah Galvão. Yeah, Micah Galvão. He's back. Fucking oath oh, he is. Jesus. Dude, he I is. said that shit about the gear being dead and then Micah must have caught wind of it. <laughs> he's like, and he just go, I'm just going to fucking put on a spectacular flying submission show for you. Everybody needs to know what's up in the gear. Yeah. Fuck, oh, he's so good. Unstoppable. But yeah. But here's the thing. They're all 21. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And they're the best in the world without question. If you're coming to jiu-jitsu a bit later, there's nothing to say that you couldn't upset or surprise these guys, but they already have 15 years of jiu-jitsu in their bones under the best coaching, the best training. They, that, that's all they do. They do nothing else. If you have other aspirations in life other than just pure jiu-jitsu, then I'm going to say that you may not be a champion at Black Belt. 
you could maybe win it. Blue. I'm going to say you're definitely not going to be. No. <laughs> like if you have other shit going on and you're not giving yourself to it, you're not going to be a black belt champion. Maybe it, maybe at the local, you know, yeah. maybe at the local comp on a weekend. No, no you're not going to be a world champion. Absolutely on not. That, on that stage. Yeah, I think it has to fair. be a full-time occupation. And that's the thing we're probably not appreciating. The money's not there yet, so we're not seeing that kind of soccer level, you know, EPL type money or NFL type money, but the dedication is there. Yeah. From the youngest age... There's, they're breeding up these these monsters and then you show up to the competition they're like oh you got Tyne and Dalpro first round you're like who? <laughs> you're, that's a funny name yeah interesting yeah. I wonder if he's any good um, try some flying shit on this <laughs> so I think ultimately you can be very good even if you're you can be a champion coming from your own not very famous team but you better have some compadres who are they're on board for it they're there for the work. They're there for the drilling. They're there to push you. It's going to take – it's a much heavier lift to do it by yourself. But if you want to go through those channels and be amongst the champions, it's quicker, but there's a lot of fire to, to get there too. Yeah. So the Matthew effect, greatness, the compounding effect of greatness, it is real. It does happen. But you can be the outlier. Just know it's going to be a lot of work. Love it. Fam, thanks for listening today. If you need help with your strength or flexibility training and you want it to carry over to the mats so you can move better, be in less pain and be more athletic, jump on to bulletproofforbjj.com, start a free trial, jump on a program. We'll see you on the inside. We can help you with your training. Catch you next week. Yeah.